Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a rite of passage. We had to do it in our day. It'll all be over soon. It'll just flow when you're in there. FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. I'm Crossy from the Strawberry Alarm Clock. I am Tara Murray from Total Access. We've teamed up with the Institute of Education in Dublin and some of Ireland's best health and wellness professionals to give you a crash course in all the useful information you need to make the Leaving Cert exams that bit easier. Every Monday and Wednesday, we'll be speaking to some of Ireland's best teachers who will be giving us some of their vital tips and tricks that will help you with your exams this June. On today's show, we're going to be looking at English Paper 2 with Jim Lusby from the Institute. The beginning of exams are only a few weeks away at this point, with Paper 2 starting on Thursday the 6th of June at 2pm. Jim is an award-winning playwright and has written books on the Leaving Cert syllabus, so his valuable advice and guidance on where to focus your attention is certain to bring a few extra points your way this June. Nicola Halloran, aka The Wonky Spatula, will also be here to talk about what food and drink you should stay away from around exam time. She'll also be telling you why you shouldn't beat yourself up too much if you find yourself reaching towards the crisps and the chocolates. But first, here's Jim with English Paper 2. Dublin's hit music station, FM 104. We are joined back in studio now to discuss English Paper 2 with Jim Lusby from the Institute of Education. Jim, can you break down the format for English Paper 2 for us? Paper 2 is divided into three sections. Uh, The single text, the most popular of the single text, there are a number of them available for study, but by far the most popular, 95, 96% of students take the Shakespeare play, which this year is Macbeth. That's section one, that's worth uh, 60 marks. Section two is comparative study. Study where students take three different texts from a list of around about 40 available prescribed texts, take three of them and compare uh, the techniques of storytelling between, let's say, a movie, uh, one of the more interesting new sections of the English course, between a movie, a stage play and a novel, let's say, or a memoir. That's worth 70 marks. And the final section is the, the dreaded, for some reason, poetry section, which is divided into unseen poem, 
the title of it is a bit dubious because you can actually see it on, on the paper, obviously. It means one that you haven't studied uh, previously. And then the prescribed poetry section, uh, the, the major poets uh, with the prescribed poems for 50 uh, marks for, for the poetry essay. So you've got, uh, again, 200 marks for the those combined sections were 200 marks. And the timing on paper, too, is remarkably simple. You allocate one minute per mark. So if you have a 60 mark question, you write an hour for that essay and so on and so forth. One minute per mark. The unseen poetry, obviously that must, you know, strike fear in the hearts of most of going into an exam and seeing something that you haven't studied because, you know, there's a lot of preparation involved for the English exam in general. You have your texts, you have the studies handed to you, you can prepare as most as you can. But how would you go about preparing for something that you haven't seen and breaking down a poem and analysing a poem that you haven't seen? The answer to this one is going to sound a little bit glib, uh, particularly a couple of weeks away from the, the Leaving Cert. But the more poetry you read, uh, the more of anything that you do, the more skilled you get at that. The more poetry you read. Now, there is perhaps not a great deal of time uh, a couple of weeks away from the exam to sit down and read poetry. But that is the key to it. Take one of the poetry anthologies. If you want a quick preparation for the Unseen Poem, take one of the major poetry anthologies. There's a series um, of poetry anthologies uh, edited by Neil Astley called Staying Alive or Being Alive and it's extensive collections of modern poetry contemporary poetry the sort of stuff that appears on the Leaving Cert uh, paper if you uh, take any one of those and read any of the poems with the following in mind a poem it's very very difficult to define obviously what poetry is but it's an attempt to recreate an experience, a thought, an emotional experience, psychological experience, uh, purely with the use of language. It relies a great deal on sound, uh, on sound effects and on imagery. It doesn't concern itself a great deal with content. Uh, we're not interested in a poem in content. It's like the impact of, a, of an expression. So sound effects, if you're studying the, the sound patterns of a poem, I often compare in, in my own classes uh, a poem to a Persian rug. Uh, the beauty of the rug is in the pattern. A rug doesn't mean anything, so stop asking uh, what's it about. You know, a rug, for instance, isn't about anything, no more than a poem is about anything. So you, you, you stop that headache that you give yourself uh, trying to figure out what the mystery of the poem is. A lot of students become frightened of poetry because they think there's some hidden meaning or hidden secret that they don't have access to, that they're, that they're too dim or too uneducated or whatever. There isn't. If you're looking at a Persian rug, you're looking at a beautiful pattern. And if you're looking at a poem, you are ideally also looking at a pattern, a pattern of sounds, which should be easy to explore. Not easy, but uh, interesting, let's mm -hmm. say, to explore. And a pattern of images, a pattern of, uh, of pictures. So all questions on the unseen poem are either about the sounds or the images. And if you look at a poem in the sense of a pattern and just explore, the there is no correct answer. There is no absolute meaning. The poem is not about anything. Uh, unless it's a sonnet, which is about 14 lines in, in a sonnet. It's not about anything other than that. Uh, it's a pattern. Uh, and if you can appreciate the beauty of the pattern, you'll get your 20 marks. Can I ask you about the actual, like the poets that you will know about? Is yeah. Every year there seems to be three or four that teachers would say, you know what, they're, they're bankable as such. Yeah. Who are the hot ones this year? Who are the ones that... Okay, there are two 
new poets on, on the course this year, never examined, never prescribed before. One is Irish living, Brendan Kennelly, and the other one is D.H. Lawrence, probably better known as uh, as a novelist, Sons and Lovers and Women in Love and, and the infamous Lady Chatterley's Lover. Uh, but it was also a fine poet. Both of those are new uh, to the course. One or other of those uh, is obviously going to be... It would uh, have, yeah, if you're bringing it yeah, on, yeah, yeah, of course. going to be examined. You have three Irish poets, four, including Kennelly, what I already mentioned, three further Irish poets on the course, uh, Seamus Heaney, W.B. Yeats and Eleni Quillenon. And Quillenon was uh, uh, examined last year on last year's paper. Uh, so probably most students will assume that she will not appear, although that's not necessarily the case. Uh, yeah. There have been instances in the past of, of poets appearing on consecutive years, so don't yourself. assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, the intelligent answer to your question here. Obviously, first of all, let me preface my selection with the, the following comments. The prescribed poetry essay is worth 50 marks. 50 marks out of 400. I don't recommend doing it, but you can actually perform poorly, very poorly, on the prescribed poetry essay and still get a H1. Mathematically possible, not really mm-hmm. feasible, but mathematically possible. So let's put the, poetry, the prescribed poetry essay in context. It's 50 marks out of 400, and let's not exaggerate the impact of it and the importance of it. Like all sections, it has its own importance. So that's uh, relax a little bit about it. Again, the key to a good poetry essay is the interpretation of the question. There's always a word or two or a phrase or two in the question. Paul Durkin, who was examined a few years ago, and also a living Irish poet, not on the course this year, but I just remember part of the question from that. It praised his poetry for having emotional honesty. Now, you need to ask yourself, what does emotional honesty actually mean? And once you ask yourself that question, you're well on the way to constructing an intelligent response to the question. To go back to the selection of poets, poetry is a great deal of work for for 50 marks. It's a little bit unfairly weighted in that regard, I think, uh, myself. To guarantee yourself a a question, you need to study five poets. There's eight poets prescribed, four on the paper, so the probability works out as uh, study five and you're guaranteed one. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, if your selection is intelligent, both Lawrence and Kennelly I would recommend this year. You have three female poets, Elena Quillinon, as I mentioned earlier, Sylvia Plath and Elizabeth Bishop. So if you took those three, it would seem to me that you're more or less guaranteed a question from those three. If you take the Irish poets, you can make intelligent selections, basically. Uh, So, Jim, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give to people who are studying Macbeth? Difficult to narrow it down. Such a complex play, as always with Shakespeare's play, difficult to narrow it down. I'll I'll try, but before doing so, obviously there are many factors that you're you're studying in such a work of literature as, as Macbeth. The characters, the major characters, the minor characters, the role of the minor characters. Minor characters have been asked on Shakespeare plays in recent years, you know, the role of them, the function of the minor characters. So you can't exclude anybody. In this case, you're talking about Banco, obviously, is one of the major minor characters, if I can put it like that. Uh, the witches, the function of the witches. The function of a character is includes um, their role in the action of the play, their impact on the protagonist, Macbeth, the central uh, character, what they represent thematically in the play itself. So there's the whole area of characters, major and minor. There's the area of themes. Uh, you studied Macbeth, as you said earlier, Tara, and you'll be familiar with the, the themes of good and evil, yes. with the, uh, the themes of kingship. All of this is now coming back to you like, oh, uh, like, like, yeah. a, night, like a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. uh, nightmare. No, you did enjoy Macbeth. Yeah, I did, yeah, I did. Yeah. The major themes of the play you need to be familiar with as well. But if I was to recommend any one thing, I would recommend a study of the language of the play. There's wonderful imagery of disorder, of blood, of poison, all this integrated imagery uh, which captures what happens when when a tyrant 
sticks a knife into virtue and lets the blood seep all over the land. This was great imagery of vegetation, of growth and the rest of it. But if you have a land covered in blood, nothing grows in it. And that's what Scotland is left as a devastated kingdom because of Macbeth's actions. The key, in other words, to the entire play, characters, themes and everything else is in the language. And if you study the language, even if you don't get a specific question on the language itself, on the imagery itself, although that's possible and and quite likely, even if you don't get a specific question on the language, you have the material in the language for discussing everything else. The characters, the themes, the action, the drama, the technique. The key is in the language uh, itself. So we've only one more part to talk about now. That is the second part of the paper. That's comparative study. Yes. Yeah. Every year it changes. It's up to the teacher, isn't it, usually to pick out of... Yeah. You've got a selection of around about 40 texts uh, prescribed and a teacher will pick a combination of three texts, uh, usually ranging across different genres, uh, stage play, movie and and prose work, novel or, or memoir. And because theme is on this year, most teachers will select the three texts on the basis of a common theme or issue, such themes as love, uh, conflict, uh, struggle, uh, relationships, family. The three texts will have uh, different treatments of a same or similar theme. And theme is expected. There are three modes prescribed in comparative study. Two of them are examined on the paper. You have to answer on one of them. There's actually two questions on each, so there's four questions in total. A good wide choice. You have to answer one out of the four. Theme is expected to be examined this year. And the other mode that's uh, expected to be examined is uh, vision and viewpoint. Uh, Vision and viewpoint examines the the overall optimism or pessimism of a text, whether the author's view of life or understanding of life is is positive or negative, good or bad, uh, dark or bright or whatever. You'd have to say, going back to Macbeth we were talking about earlier, uh, the vision of life in Macbeth. By definition in a tragedy, one's vision of life is tragic by definition, so it's a dark vision as is exemplified by Macbeth. Some stories, however, fairy stories, uh, Cinderella and Snow White and the rest of them, they end positively, that you can resolve all the issues of life. So Vision and Viewpoint examines that entire area, whether a text uh, gives one a hopeful impression of life or a despairing impression of life, uh, ultimately. There's a couple of areas that you're looking at in particular, again, because Vision and Viewpoint is expected to be examined on this year's paper. One is the fate and the, the outlook and the fate of the central character. Obviously, the central character is the one through whose eyes we view the world. Mm-hmm. So what happens to them and what their attitude is a huge influence on us. So if the central character triumphs at the end, it's obviously a more positive uh, vision of life. That's one is the, the outlook and fate of the central character. Another one is the arc of the story. Some stories start up there in an elevated and they fall, they decline as they go along. Macbeth, again, is an example of this. Macbeth starts off as the honoured, loved general, major general of Duncan's uh, army. He starts off at the height. I have bought golden opinions from all sorts of people, he says of himself, before he starts declining. So the arc of that story is downwards. The arc of some stories is upwards. People start in poverty and win the lotto, let us say, to be facile about it. But that is a positive story. And the third element then is the atmosphere, the dominant atmosphere of the play, or the text at least, going back to Macbeth again, the dominant atmosphere there is one of darkness, of gloom, of blood, of of heaviness. So we can't use any of the prescribed tests in comparative study because there are too many of them and most people will not be doing any one of them, the chances are. But most people are doing Macbeth. So if you have a look at Macbeth in terms of the dominant atmosphere, very gloomy, very dark, uh, very bloody, the fate of the main character, which is tragic, and the arc of the story, which is a downward spiral. So you'd have to say Macbeth is a tragedy. It has a pessimistic view of life. So that's what's examined in, in Vision and Viewpoint. 
So it's a tough two papers. Yes, yeah. And I think if it's the night before and people are listening to this now, what do they do? They just relax? Yeah. They should know what yeah. they've known already or how? Yeah. Do you yeah. recommend they go over, have a read over what they've already learned? As with everything, different students, different individuals will have different ways of comforting themselves the night before. They range from the, the utterly laid back, uh, going out uh, with the friends for a couple of hours to have a chat uh, and forgetting about everything, to a more focused or obsessive last revision of essential features. So I'm not recommending anything in particular in between those each individual will differ. The one thing that you should not do fairly obviously is tire yourself out the night before by cramming material into yourself so that you reach the exam in a state of nervous exhaustion and psychological exhaustion exhaustion, and you're tired of the material. You have to leave something fresh for yourself for the exam, particularly in English because it's all about the freshness of expression. It's all about using language in a, in a lively, fresh sort of way, in an individual sort of way. And if you don't have that, like preparing for a sporting encounter, if you stay up all night the night before, you're not going to be in any condition to demonstrate your skills or to enjoy the game or the exam. So the thing you need to avoid is tiredness, uh, weariness with the material itself uh, and physical tiredness. And worst of all is a combination uh, of those two. So up to the point where you need to go to bed, do anything other than that that you need to do to comfort yourself, whether it is a last minute look at vital bullet points for uh, any section of the paper or all sections of the paper or whether it is forgetting about it entirely and reading a book unrelated to the course which is actually a good good recommendation because it's it's a good preparation it's a reading and writing uh, paper so whatever eases your mind and your body up to the point where you need to go to bed and then go to bed and get as much sleep as you can that was Jim Lusby giving us some invaluable predictions on what he thinks might appear on English paper 2 this year FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert. We're joined in studio once more by Nicola Halloran, a.k.a. the Wonky Spatula. Nicola joined us in episode two and is back to share some of her really practical tips and recipes to make the next few weeks that little bit easier for you. Um, Nicola, could you give us a little recap on what we learned in our first chat with you? So I think one of the main things we covered was how to prepare for your food for the week ahead, especially when you're looking at um, bringing food to school and having something ready when you get home um, before you start studying. So one of the main things to do is to have a good breakfast to make sure you've got snacks balanced throughout the day, a nice lunch to look forward to and the same with dinner time. One thing that we didn't kind of cover actually but kind of falls into it as well is making sure you have a solid routine and that goes from everything to the time you get up in the morning to making sure you eat all your meals and to getting a solid night's sleep. And many of the exams are between two to three hours for the Leaving Cert. What specific snacks would you recommend students to bring in? Like should it be something sugary? I would sort of stay away from sugary treats because what happens there is your blood sugar goes up and you get kind of a sugar crash then after it. So you're almost better off not having anything if that's you're thinking of going down. So you want to be looking at kind of slow release carbs like a banana would be perfect. And then if you absolutely can't do without your chocolate, there are some really good healthy chocolate bars that have low glycemic index. So you won't get that kind of banging crash. One of the ones that I really like is Dr. Coy's. It comes in loads of different flavours. And then there's also Nobo, which is an Irish chocolate company as well. 
Nicola, how important is consistent hydration throughout the day? Hydration throughout the day is absolutely key. So our bodies need water to function properly. So if you're not drinking enough, you're going to be lethargic. You're going to find you know, even the simplest tasks you can get brain fog from doing. So keeping a bottle by your side while you're studying and just sipping away is, is the best thing to do. So what are the main foods that students should completely and totally avoid during the exams themselves? I'm not the food police, so I'm not going to ban anything. (laughs) But you do want to make sure that you are eating a healthy and balanced diet. But also, this is the one time in your life where, you know, if you really want a chocolate bar, no one is going to blame you. Yeah, indulge when you need to, specifically. Exactly. (laughs) Might make you feel better for a little while. (laughs) Many of our listeners would have little or no experience actually cooking their own meals. And cooking can be an extremely interesting and relaxing hobby for someone to pick up. Would you encourage people to give it a go, even if they don't really have a huge amount of confidence or knowledge about it? So, believe it or not, I actually didn't learn how to cook until I was... 21 about to turn 22 um, really? yeah I never really had an interest in food I kind of I ate it and I enjoyed it but it wasn't a big part of my life whatsoever so um, my parents actually went away for a couple of weeks and I needed to learn how to cook so, so you had no choice exactly <laughs> I honestly googled everything from how do you boil an egg to like how do you peel a parsnip like <laughs> there, there was nothing that I didn't kind of have to find out but also what I think younger people sort of fear cooking because you know they don't want to mess up or it might be a case of where you know the kitchen was never their domain at home but you'd be surprised just how much you pick up from seeing your parents cook over the years and Google is the best place to start. (laughs) Yeah I know when I um, first learned how to cook I think the first thing I ever cooked was either pasta or rice and I was like right let's start from the very bottom the amount of time you need to cook this is on the side of the packet that's always kind of like a good thing like where to start or making something as simple as like throwing a load of veg into like stir fries and stuff like that that's something you can just whip up in minutes so do you recommend starting on something that you know won't be too much of a challenge at the initial start of it yeah exactly and I would say kind of cook things that you know you enjoy eating and that you want to eat so don't kind of look up crazy recipes just for the sake of doing it and you know stay away from kind of pastry and bread making and that kind of thing because that's a science (laughs) (laughs) exactly is a lot of coffee or energy drinks something that students should kind of steer clear of in the run-up the exams I know this is going to be a tough one for people to kind of stay away from. So if you are a coffee drinker, what I would recommend is kind of keeping it to one or two a day and not having any past two o'clock so that you are getting like a good night's sleep. Because the temptation can be there to sort of stay up through the night and study away. But honestly, all of your hard work is done at this stage. It's just a case of kind of ticking over and getting through to the exams. Plus, I read a lot of studies myself when I was doing the Leaving Cert that you actually start to lose your ability to retain information past 10 o'clock. So you should, you know, call it a day and get some rest. And most students who are sitting the Leaving Cert by now are of the legal drinking age. Now, this might seem like a really overly obvious question, but how wise would it be to abstain from drinking over the next few weeks? I think it kind of goes without saying that the party shoes should be hung up for the next couple of weeks. Um, I know a lot of people will be turning 18 and you know there are going to be parties but you have to look at one night and how it affects the next couple of days afterwards 
personally, I suppose I didn't really get hangovers till I was about 23. So, <laughs> But again, it does all go back to kind of sleep and looking at this as a short period of time where you have to put your social life on hold, but you're going to reap the rewards for the rest of your life. So it, it really is worth it. I don't know whether it's a rumour or not, but if you went on a night out and obviously you were drinking, when you go to sleep that night, apparently you don't ever really fully fall into a deep sleep or it's a broken sleep like alcohol can affect the way that you sleep is that true yeah because of the way it affects your heart rate and your brain function so you aren't necessarily asleep you're just kind of lying there with your eyes shut oh lovely (laughs) so don't do it Nicola where can we find more of your recipes and nutrition advice um, so my website, thewonkyspatcha.com, is the best port of call. I've got a whole range of recipes from breakfast to lunch, dinner, and some sweet treats thrown in for good measure. Dublin's hit music station, FM 104. And that's all we've time for on today's podcast. Thanks again for listening in, and remember to subscribe and rate the show if you got some good info from our teachers this week. And uh, make sure you check out the podcast again this Wednesday, where we'll be speaking to Institute's expert geography teacher, Michael Doran. Michael is an experienced Leaving Cert examiner and has written many published articles on the subject, so his advice and predictions are going to be invaluable to students sitting the exam paper this year. Setting goals is a great tool in helping you achieve your academic targets, even in this late stage of the year. So we'll be chatting to Irish international runner and Olympic hopeful Brian Gregan about ways to incorporate this into your study and exam prep. If there's anything in particular you'd like covered on the show, whether it's a certain subject or an aspect of mental health, get in touch with your idea on WhatsApp at 087-6797-104. FM 104's Leaving Cert Survival Guide with the Institute of Education. With only the info that you want to hear to help you ace your Leaving Cert.